Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series in the book of Joshua with part two of this message entitled, Christian Stewardship, the Joy of Christian Giving. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Joshua chapter 21. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let's turn to the scripture on the subject of Christian stewardship. We made an argument from the Old Testament and we are now going through arguments from the New Testament and we discover there is no change in God's program for financing his kingdom work from the Old Testament to New Testament. It is the same, same argument. God's work is done by God's people. Money coming from God's people, whom God has blessed in terms of tithe and offerings. Argument in terms of the New Testament. In number six, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers, to... Respect those who work hard among you. This has nothing to do with a lazy preacher. Work hard there means one who sweats. One who works hard in the preaching of the gospel. One who studies hard. One who is not preaching psychology or the changing cultural values. One who stands unashamedly uh, declaring the everlasting gospel. One who work hard among you. Number one. Number two, those who are over you. God has placed certain people over certain people. In one sense, the pastor is under God and under people, but in another sense, he is under God and over people. I said under God and under people because he is a minister. But on the other hand, he is placed over people. Work hard among you who are over you in the Lord. And then it says who admonish you. Nutheteo. Putting something into your mind. The idea here is one who rebukes you, corrects you. There is some blameworthiness in you and so the pastor comes and corrects you that's the idea so here is a pastor who is preaching and teaching and working hard and exercising leadership and also one who comes rebuking you when necessary I suppose here in this context it is because the people in Thessalonica were walking disorderly attack toss without taxes, without order. Specifically in the area of work, they were mooching off other people. They were lazy people. And so they required certain rebuke from those who were in leadership. So ones who work hard among you, ones who are over you in the Lord, ones who admonish you. Now comes verse 13. Hold them in one highest esteem. Now, if you are a father, you let your kid call you Joe, then you are teaching to disrespect me. 
Because when you don't demand respect from your family, then they are not going to respect anybody. But here the scripture says, hold them highest esteem. Huperecterisu, the Pauline triple what? Intensive. Only this word is used three times. Another time God is able to, to do exceedingly abundantly above. That's the idea. In other words, respect such people beyond measure. That, is, that has nothing to do with worshipping that person. You worship God only. You don't even worship angels. But on the other hand, American culture is dominated by egalitarianism. What does that mean? Everybody is on the same level. Everybody is Joe. Honey, where did Joe go? And the mother asked the kid. And the kid goes and finds Joe. People who are trained in a bad manner, in disrespecting parents and teachers, they must listen to this, that you should never treat an elder or a minister with contempt. One more time, hold them how? In highest esteem. There is no adverb more powerful than that in the scripture. Highest esteem. Now it is interesting, he just came and rebuked you. And you are told by God, what? Hold that person, what? In highest esteem. Because God cares for you enough that he sends his servant to rebuke you so that you will turn away from the wrong way and walk in the right way. That's why you have to hold them in highest esteem. But that is not the natural tendency. The natural tendency is to get angry and despise that person who told me not to do certain things not to do certain things which are not in conformity with the scripture. As I exegete this passage, I may also include in the highest esteem not only respect, but what? Remuneration. Let's go to another scripture that makes it very specific. First Timothy 5, 17 and 18. The elders who rule well or direct the affairs of the church. In the reformed world, there is a certain understanding in terms of eldership. They call it ruling elders and what? Preaching elders. Now, whether that is right division or not, here we are told elders who rule well or direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. And especially uh, those who, whose work is preaching and teaching. Those who work in word and doctrine. They are entitled to what? They merit. The word is axio. They merit. They are worthy. They deserve double honor. Now we just read First Thessalonians 5. Hold them in. Highest esteem. And here it is. They are entitled to 
they deserve double honor. Now, what does double honor mean? All right, you don't have to work too hard uh, to find the meaning of it. It says here in verse 18, for the scripture says, and then he cites the scripture from the Pentateuch, uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, which we cited this morning, that you shouldn't muscle an ox while it is uh, threshing out the grain. And then he cites the New Testament scripture from the statement of Jesus Christ, the worker, who ergates, not a lazy person, the worker deserves what? Worker deserves his wages. So you know what that means. Pay him money or chicken or whatever else. You know, if in Africa, the uh, the minister, uh, he goes to preach and then he comes home with chicken and eggs and, and uh, some grain or whatever else or fish, whatever they have, which is all right. Now, Professor Stott, uh, Dr. Stott, uh, he argues correctly, this double honor here means respect and what? Remuneration, respect and remuneration. Why is it? Because, as I said, you cannot live by respect. After a while, you die. (laughs) You are respected to death. But both are necessary. If you don't respect somebody, then you don't respond to that person's proclamation. And it is very important, if you don't respect a person, you will not respond to that person. You will not listen to that person. So respect is extremely essential uh, in terms of learning and receiving uh, things from from a teacher or a pastor or a father or a mother. You don't respect a father, then you are not going to receive anything from that father or mother or a teacher. So respect is important, the highest regard. But also remuneration is part of respecting. Double honor interpreted here also uh, remuneration. That's why I would say First Thessalonians 5 passage could also be interpreted this way. Highest esteem consisting of respect and remuneration. Let's go to Galatians chapter. We are looking at the New Testament teaching on Christian stewardship. Galatians 6 and verse 6. Anyone who receives instruction. Instruction. Instruction in what? Calisthenics? Uh, neurosurgery? No. Instruction in spiritual things. You see, a neurosurgeon who is a highly talented person and careful in brain surgery, highly educated, and you pay him a lot of money, is that true? And you respect that person. But what he does is only profitable in this age. But what I do, what a minister of the gospel does, is profitable now and in the age to come. This is spiritual and everlasting thing. When one receives by faith, it is of everlasting profit. So here then, instruction here means instruction in the unchanging word of God. Declaring and proclaiming the word of God. He refuses to conform to the dictatorship of moral relativism. 
No, we don't teach that. We don't even teach the dictatorship of antinomianism that is prevailing in the church. Do your own thing. That is what is happening in the evangelical world. And they pay lip service to the scripture. And they use scripture to teach whatever they want to teach. We let the scripture speak itself. And so, if you find such a preacher, then, then what do you do? Anyone who receives instruction, the word is katakuben. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. All good things here means what? Chicken, rice, whatever material things that you have. You must share with him. Because the principle, he who preaches the gospel must live by the gospel. In number nine, uh, let's turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 22 and verse 35. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is asking a question to his disciples. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? What did they say? Nothing they answered. The idea here is, you don't support any and every minister who calls himself a minister. The important thing about a ministry is what? Did Christ send him? Did Christ call him? Did Christ commission him? Did Christ send him? Is he a gift of Christ to the church? Or did he just call himself? Or did the church call him and make him a preacher? It means nothing. What matters is, did what? Did Christ call him? Did Christ send him? Did Christ appoint him? Then if Christ sent him, then the question is, did you lack anything? What's the answer? No. And that is always true. If God sends you, then it is God's responsibility to provide for you. Take the case of Elijah. God called him as a prophet. And then he was told to go, to go to a place. And there he said, I have commanded the ravens to take care of you. And the ravens came morning and what? Evening. With meat and bread. Then he was sent to another place, to a widow in Seraphath. And of course, he was fed with bread and water. And then he found himself in Horeb, where angel came to him uh, with freshly baked bread and water. The question is, if God called you, he will provide you. Did you lack anything? What's the answer? Nothing. Nothing. And that is the final assurance of a man of God in terms of his support. Now let me give you a few principles of Christian stewardship, Christian giving. Number one, what are you supposed to give? Tithe and what? Offering. Offering means anything you want. It is your free will deal. You want to give 50%, 100%, it's up to you. Tithe plus offering. Tithe is fixed. Plus offering. That's the principle. 
Old Testament and New Testament. Now, if some say, well, nobody says anything in the New Testament, from Matthew 23, I will give you two scriptures. Matthew 23 and verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's the Old Testament idea. Let justice roll like a flowing stream and so on. You should have practiced the latter, that is justice, uh, mercy, and faithfulness, without what? Neglecting the former. Jesus himself said that. In terms of tithe. The other scripture is in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. It says, your righteousness should what? Exceed. Jesus Christ did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisee came into the temple and said, I fast and I do this, I do that. I give tithe, whatever. They were proud of their righteousness. But the idea is, it is not that Christian righteousness should shrink from the righteousness, uh, but should exceed in view of the greater revelation in Jesus Christ. Our righteousness, that is practical righteousness, uh, must exceed. So keep that in mind. So what are we to the Lord's uh, financing program? Consists in terms of tithe and offering. Number two, uh, it should be given regularly. Not every time I feel the spirit moving in my heart, I will pay. <laughs> no, it doesn't work because I have to live. <laughs> it should be regular. Do you, do you get regular pay? Yes. So that should be regular. And it is fixed. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 16. And it says, uh, on the first day of the week. Let's turn to the book of uh, Deuteronomy. It says, uh, Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16. And uh, there we are told, three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Now, praise God, it is no longer three times a year. (laughs) We meet every week. So regular giving. Uh, Number three is proportional giving. And that is, as God has prospered you in proportion to your income. And that truth is also made known in Deuteronomy 16, 16, as well as 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and two, proportional giving in proportion to your income. Number four, it should be generous giving in Second Corinthians chapter 9, which we read, of course, uh, before we receive uh, the Lord's tithe and offering. Uh, six through eight, let me read it again. 
Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There it is, then it is generous giving. And if anyone understands what God has done for us in terms of giving the best heaven had, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, God sent us his own son. And when somebody understands that gift for our salvation, then all of a sudden we will be generous not only toward the ministers but toward everybody else. Number five, it should be intelligent giving, not emotional emotionally manipulated giving. If pastor tells a nice story, I'll give money. Some uh, story that tugged my emotion. No, it should be intelligent. Look at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart. Intelligent. And so the idea of envelope and all that is good. You take one, you think through, you do your math, whatever else, think it through. And then intelligently give rather than be manipulated by a fraudulent TV evangelist and you send your rent money to this crook. Giving is intelligent. A word-centered, biblically-based giving. Number six, giving should be sacrificial. Now, what do we mean when we say sacrifice? What does the word sacrifice mean? It hurts. It hurt the animals who were sacrificed. It hurt Christ. It is pain. That is the idea. It should hurt people when they give. And turn to Second Corinthians 8. And let us listen to this church of Macedonia. Verse 2. Out of the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And when we appreciate the cross and understand God's condescension to save us, then we become generous. Now this is true in this church, so we are not asking you to give us more money. If you are led by the Spirit, then of course you are free to do so. So notice the widow with two mites. She had three options. First, I'm a poor person and God understands. And I need these two mites for my need. As the other widow said, we only had enough flour for two small cakes. And we are going to eat it and then what? Die. So she had the choice of not giving anything. It, will, it is logical. It can be understood. The other is give one coin, which will be 50%. But she decided to give both coins observed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is sacrificial giving. It pained. Number eight, we should give hopefully. That is hoping in God who is able to abound all grace toward me. Second Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things at all times having all that you need. You will abound in every good work. This is written to encourage those people to give to the poor in Jerusalem. When you give you are giving hopefully. 
Not hope so, but hope that will not make us ashamed. God who promised me, he will provide for me. And number nine. And when you read Malachi 3.10 and Deuteronomy 12.4 through 8, you find you must bring the money to the temple and today to the local church. You are ministered to and taken care of by the local church. It is there you must bring. Bring to the storehouse in, uh, that we may have food. Food for sacrifice as well as for the need of the Levites. Number 10. If you are a minister, I will say to you, you must trust in God. As I said, uh, Jesus asked the question, when, when I sent you without a purse, did you lack anything? What's the answer? No, I lacked nothing. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ is responsible to take care of me and every minister who preaches the gospel. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ is responsible to give us money to, uh, to build, uh, to support the poor, the widows, the orphans, uh, to run school, Christian education, mission, all that God must provide. That's the, the minister must understand. It is true of the minister as it is true of the Levites. You have no inheritance, but I am your share your inheritance. I am your portion. I take, in other words, responsibility to provide for you. So the Lord is my portion and inheritance. It was true in the Old Testament. It is true today. The Lord, therefore, will provide. The Lord never failed anyone. And the Lord who called him and commissioned him is with him. Go into all the world. I'll be with you. Always, even to the end of the ages. With you for what? <laughs> Certainly with you to provide every, everything. And protect and guide and so on. And he shall not let his servants beg bread. It's a shame for a minister of the gospel to beg bread. Or a Christian to beg bread. It reflects on the great God whose children we are. And the Bible clearly says the bread is for children. It is all divine order. God provides. He always provided for me exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask or what? Imagine. Huberek perisu. Only true Christians give for the glory of God. Others give for their own glory. There are billionaires who part with billions of dollars for the purposes that their name may be perpetuated in terms of a building or in terms of something. And the purpose is their own immortality and not for the glory of God. If you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ, do so today. He will provide for you generously. He will make you a giver. And an unbeliever never gave for the glory of God. You can start today. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you from that point on will give. When Christ comes in, money goes out. That's the principle. 
because we worship money. But when Christ comes in, we worship Christ and all the monies go out. And that is the principle. If you never experienced, and not only that, by giving in the name of the Lord, you will have treasure in heaven. If you never experienced the happiness of giving, start giving. And do so especially if you are poor. You cannot afford not to give. See, that argument is used not to give, but biblically the argument is because you are poor, you cannot afford what? Not to give. And in fact, when you study the giving in this country, it's the poor people who are giving more than the rich people. Give and it shall be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Keep your eye on the generosity of Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, meaning he became incarnate. Incarnation for Christ was condescension. He became incarnate, he became poor for your sakes, so that you through his poverty might become what? Rich, and we are rich. Especially in things that matter in the spiritual life. And then St. Paul tells us, thanks be to God for his incredible, inexpressible gift. Of course, he was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are told, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all. How he will not also, along with him, give us graciously what? All things. You see, nobody gives unless he receives. And we receive from our God. Even unbelievers are provided by God in terms of common grace. Now the question then is, have you received this greatest gift? Even Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, I would say receive him as your Lord and Savior. And through him, you will gladly give even your own life for the sake of the gospel. What is money? Not much. But if you are a true Christian, you will follow him in the way of death itself. And you will die gladly because he has given us eternal life. God's kingdom work, I am saying, shall always be financed by God's people from God's abundant provision to them. There is no change. It was true in the Old Testament, and it is true today. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for meeting our every need. And we particularly thank you for sending us the indescribable, incredible gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. And by faith in him, we are saved forever. And we are made able to love. And love is giving. God so loved the world that he gave. And so also, you made us givers. The Bible says, he who stole, let him steal no longer. 
but let him work with his hands that he may have something to give the thief has become a giver through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ when you give in the name of Christ you receive incredible pleasure not grudgingly we give but we give joyfully bless your people now O Lord we pray in Jesus name Amen You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, a part two of this message entitled Christian Stewardship, The Joy of Christian Giving. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.